Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. of legacy and what I want you to do for the next few moments is just open up your heart and listen to me because here's the deal even if you say man I'm from Canada today and I just showed up I, I, I'm not a part of the church or a legacy or a future I'm flying back tomorrow or whatever I, I just want you to know that this legacy idea is so much bigger than even one single campaign that legacy should drive your life that legacy should be something that's always on your mind can you imagine maybe the decisions that we would make differently if we really had legacy on our mind. Some of us live so much in the here and the now and we get caught up in the in the quick fix and the what makes me happy right now. But if we began to think legacy minded, how it would change our decisions and attitudes and how we kind of go about our way. And I want you to know your heavenly father is all about legacy. This is why when he looked at people, he never looked at purely just the here and the now. He was always thinking about the future. As a matter of fact, that's why if you read the Bible from the point of Genesis chapter 3, he's already looking ahead to Jesus. That's how I'm, I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking for generations to come. I'm thinking about how this whole thing is going to play out. He would think about Abraham, but then he would say, hey, I want you to think about your offspring, like the, like the stars in the heaven or the sands of the seashore. I want you to think big and think ahead. And so he, would even, he was even called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he was thought of as this God that was always moving through each generation. And so by the time you get to Solomon, he notices it. He says these words, he says, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, meaning they're just legacy minded. They're not thinking about them kids. They're thinking about them kids, kids. They're thinking ahead. They're thinking big. When you read all of the New Testament, what you find is that not only does God want you to think ahead in terms of your future, not only your family's future, it gets so big that he's trying to get you to think eternally minded. That's why the Bible says stuff like this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. That's too short minded. Like that's too short thinking. You're, 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 you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking broad enough. You're not thinking long enough. He said don't store up stuff here. You don't live here very long. You, you live forever in eternity somewhere though. Be thinking about there more than you think about here. Therefore store up treasures in heaven. And here's the kicker. Because wherever your treasure is your heart will be also. The Bible says that God has set eternity in our hearts. This is why we're always wondering what happens when we die. And we go to funerals and we get wigged out. And we're like what's going to happen? God has set eternity in our hearts. It's just something that's there. And so he wants you to be legacy-minded right now. We've been talking about all kinds of just legacy stuff. But today, I want to share with you something that I think is really fascinating. We're talking about legacy places. Legacy places. See, all throughout the Bible, God would show up in a place. So, like, like Abraham. God would show up and speak to Abraham, and he'd say, hey, man, this is a special place. He built an altar and said, mm, that's where God met me there. And then fast forward into, into the future, they're like, hey, we, we want a place where we go to worship. So they created a tabernacle where they knew God's presence would come and be in a special way. And then they eventually, they went from like mobile church where it was set up and tear down every week to a few hundred years later, they go to the temple. They're like, let's go permanent. I'm tired of setting up chairs. And so, I'm just kidding. The tabernacle didn't have chairs. They all just stood and then... See, you ought to be grateful, even though they're uncomfortable, at least you're not standing. And so, so, so they, they would have these places, these places that were legacy. And then, so uh, there's this unique story 
It's not even a story. It's this kind of description in the book of Ezekiel. And so if you have your Bible and you want to flip there, go to Ezekiel chapter 43, and it'll be up on the screen. You just read along. It's just literally like a couple of scriptures that I'm going to read. Ezekiel was a prophet, and these prophets of the Old Testament would have visions many times and see things and then write down what God showed them in a vision. And this is one of the visions that Ezekiel had of a legacy place, a place of God's presence, a place that was unique, some place in the future. He, he just, just starts describing it. And I'm going to read you just one small portion because I want to show you something that's very significant about this place that he said would be different than every other place anywhere. Ezekiel chapter 43, verse number 12, it says, this is the law of the temple. That's a place, right? This is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy. Such is the law of the temple. He says it twice here. So like when he says it twice, pay close attention. What's the law of the temple? Then he says something so strange that it's going to not make sense to 21st century people and living in America because we don't even use the metric system. But he says, these are the measurements of the altar in long cubits, that cubit being a cubit. And a handbreadth. Everybody say a cubit and a handbreadth. That don't make no sense at all. How many of you know, like you start getting around metric and all of a sudden you just realize that you move the decimal once. And there's just a lot of sense in the metric. I don't know why we abandoned that thing or moved to inches and, and feet and yards and all that. But like we use different measurements. And anytime we build something, how many of you know, and every, every guy that's semi-handy knows this, that you measure twice and you cut yeah, absolutely. I learned that the hard way. Um, I am not handy. I call people. So, but you measure. You're supposed to measure twice and cut once, and you measure in in whatever you know thing you're rolling. And we we're mostly you know in inches. And so that's the way we roll. But in the historic ancient world, they had no standards for measurement that were the same that we had. That were these universal universal measurements. So they had what was called a cubit. Everybody say a cubit. So this is what a cubit is. A cubit was, was I mean, think about it. This is how they built the pyramids. <laughs> this is how they built things in the ancient world. Like goes back to like Genesis chapter 6 when God tells Noah to build a boat. You know how they measured it? Cubits. When they talked about like Goliath and how tall he was, they measured him in, a, in cubits. Even Jesus, by the time you get to the New Testament, this is still in reference. And Jesus is talking about worry. And all you people that are worry wards and just think about everything that could go wrong and how it might go wrong and what if it goes wrong and ah. And Jesus like, all you're worrying. I had a grandma that used to sit around and listen to the police scanner for crying out loud. I'm like, what, what are you doing? You're going to send yourself to an early grave. So, so you just want to worry about everything. And then Jesus says this line. He goes, Will worrying add even one cubit to your stature? Remember that was in like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew kind of 6 area right in there. He goes, by worrying and stressing out, can you add one cubit to your measure? So this idea of a cubit was really, really common to them and makes no sense to us. So I'm going to teach you today what the cubit is. Are you ready? You will probably never need to use this in real life. This may be worthless information in your future, but it's going to be powerful now. Everybody say, okay. All right, everybody take your hand and go like that right there. Yep, yeah, tuck your thumb in. And so a cubit was six handbreadths. And what they determined was is that from the elbow to the tip of a finger was one cubit, and one cubit was six handbreadths. So if you'll do this, unless you have like weird fingers, you should be able to go one, two, three, four, 
five, six, and you should come, unless you're strange. Does some of y'all have like the thing where the middle finger is not really taller and the, 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 you know, the index is fighting for supremacy or anything? I don't know what you have. Mine, I think, are pretty standard, and so it just goes. Did everybody get six? Six. So the, the, the cubit, and again, this is how they built everything in the ancient world, and they built incredible stuff. You would sit there and think, man, how are you doing this? All right, that's one, you know, just... They built, they built coliseums. They built stuff that's still standing today with the cubit. Now, now check this out. Now, everybody say six. It's six hand breaths, right? And so now this area right here in Hebrew is actually called Amah. This is what the Hebrew people, this area right here was called the mother of the arm. The mother or the beginning, Right? And the idea in Hebrew was, is that whatever the, whatever the mind could dream up and whatever the mind could imagine started here, but it was given birth to here somehow. So this was called the mother of the arm. This, this is called the, the father of the arm. It's up in, up in here a little higher. I'm kidding. Um, I should have done some curls before I came out on stage or so. We should put some weights back there. I could have I looked better. Um, but this is, this is the mother of the arm. Because they realize that the mind is creative, but it's the arm that produces, manufactures, or gives birth to whatever it is that the mind can imagine. And you've got to think, the mind of man is incredible. Like, the stuff that we come up with is awesome. I was talking to a woman today, and talking about like a surgery where they stick this and go in here and do it. And I'm like, man, that is crazy how they can do some of the medical stuff that they can do today. Like some of the stuff that we can come up with, like going back, like we, how did we build the pyramids? We didn't have cranes and construction, and yet their, their creativity and resourcefulness and ingenuity, uh, they, we built the Great Wall of China. We built these tall, uh, of course, San Francisco is not doing great because it's leaning, but there's normally tall skyscrapers that stand straight up and don't lean except for that one Pisa tower. And so there's all these incredible things that we've built. And so the mind can just like, like the Wright brothers were, were dreaming up like a bunch of other people, like how cool would it be to fly with the birds? And they figured out how to put a man up in the air. And then we had other people that were different. They didn't want to go with the birds. They wanted to go with the fishes and go. And so now we built these submarines that go to the depths of the ocean because it started in the mind of man and then it was given birth to as somebody began to build and to craft and to do. All this. And, and again, think, think about this. Think about this right now. This blows me away. Right now, I'm speaking to you through a microphone that like is up in here. It's, it's hearing what I say and then it goes, and if you're not careful, if you stick this close to your beard, it pops. Some about the whiskers. We should work on that. But outside of that, this thing's pretty incredible. And so literally, voice comes out of my mouth, goes into this, down through a wire that y'all can't see, into a battery pack operated thing with an antenna that goes back to another antenna that's back there that runs through a soundboard. Hi, Bobby. And so it runs through a soundboard, and then the soundboard has cables that run up into this speaker system here, and then at the exact same moment that I'm saying it, you hear it, and you're like, dang. We kind of take that stuff for granted. Somebody thought that junk up. Somebody was like figuring it. Hey, hey, you got a, anybody got an iPhone on them? Like... Like, like, think about what they thought up, like what, what, we, what they were creating in their mind, what they were like, in, like Surrey is awesome. And Surrey is now an English dude for me because I just, I don't know, Surrey got up on my nerves a couple times, so I'm like, I'm changing to Jeffrey or whoever, whatever. So I got an English dude voice on my phone 
and, and I, that makes me feel better. Because I always feel like English people sound smarter. So I always feel like that Surrey won't misdirect me. And so, but the stuff that we can come up with is incredible. I want you to think about this. Think about this. There is some way that they tracked this idea. And it's about how knowledge increases in the earth. Did you know that from the time of Jesus to Leonardo da Vinci, that's how long it took for the time of Jesus for knowledge to double? It was 1,500 years from that point to that point when knowledge doubled, the amount of stuff that we knew. But check this out. From that point forward, it didn't take another 1,500 years. It only took 250 years. We leapt forward so quickly. After that, it only took 50 years before it to double again. Listen to this. By the 1960s, I don't even go back that far. By the 60s, only took 10 years for knowledge to double. By the 80s, it was doubling every two years. In the 90s, every 18 months. And then since the 2000s, it's down to six months or just a little bit less now that knowledge is doubling. I tell you what the, what the mind can come up. See, you are made in the image and likeness of God and our Heavenly Father is a creator. I don't know if you ever like, you know, go to the zoo sometime. Like, God's just creative. You ever figured out that, like, how many different animals just are like this on four legs? But then God's like, take his neck, and like, that's a giraffe, and I'm going to put stripes on it, and that's a zebra, and I'm going to give this one a big, long nose thing, and fat, and that's an elephant, and then I'm going to give this one a horn, and I'm going to give this, and this one's going to be fast, and this one's going to be slow with a shell, and this one, and, like, God just keeps making, and that's not even the ocean stuff. I mean, God is a creator. When you look at nature and all that he's done, Stephen Hawking just came out recently and just said, when I look at the universe, there's no denying to me now that there is intelligence behind what we experience and what we see. There is a creator behind this thing. And God has put creativity in the mind of man. And it starts here, but it is executed in the cubit, in the mother of the arm. Everybody say six. Six handbreadths. Six in the Bible, biblical numerology. Numerology is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. All throughout scriptures, a bunch of ideas where you see man and six. And so man and six go together, but see the number seven is the divine number. It's the number of God. It's the number of completion. And so I want you to look at the scripture again in Ezekiel. He said, this is the law of the temple, and such is the law of the temple. These are the measurements of the altar in long cubits that this place, this vision that Ezekiel had would be a place where there would be that cubit and a handbreadth. See, what God was saying was, is that any place that is my place, any place that is special, any place where my presence resides, it's going to be the normal six. Somebody's going to get to work and creativity and do something, but for it to be the place where my presence dwells in a unique way, it'll take all six and a handbreadth. And the point that he was trying to make is, is that in this life, there's what you can do. And then there's what he adds to it. And I want to encourage you today, because I want you to think about this, that this is ultimately the law of the temple, is that you do everything you can do. And then you ask God to do what only he can do. Because here's, here's what I know about life, and here's what I discover when I talk to people all the time. Like, we have the ability in our mind to create an architect's design, and we have all kinds of cool stuff, and we can build some of the most incredible homes and places to live. 
But only God can put peace in a home. Like when we figured out the ability to harness electricity and then empower all these things and we figured out how to do computer chips that could work faster than the human mind could fathom and put all this stuff together and then figure out how to link it to every other computer in the world via the internet. And then we figured out how to, how to connect lonely souls through match.com to get this guy with this girl. But only God can give you a blessed marriage. Like, don't get me wrong. It's awesome. But this is why, this is why Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Wait a minute. I thought we created all this cool stuff. Nothing of value. Nothing of eternal consequence. Nothing of legacy. Nothing of significance. Because see, you live in here. And what God wants to do is take the seventh hand and put it on what you're doing. Because that's the only way it'll truly be blessed in this life. Like we have x-ray devices that can go look at the womb of a mother and watch a baby dance inside of the womb to the beat of music. But hey, only God can protect your kids. There's some things only, only, only God can do. Like, like when we look, I love the movies. How many love the movies? I, I'm, I'm going to go see a movie tonight, I think. I, I love the movies. And, and, and think about this. We had some people that were like drawing things. And we figured out that we put them in order and then flipped them. It kind of looked like something was moving. We called them motion pictures or moving. You know, like, and then now we, now we got 3D and Dolby surround sound. And we spend millions of dollars for you to have an hour and a half worth of entertainment. Only God can give you joy. Certain things. See, you got here. But God's wanting to put that seventh hand. And this is what Ezekiel's vision was. It was a place that he said, this place will be built differently than every other place. Every other place was built with the sixth. You're going to do it with the sixth, but then I'm going to come and put my hand on top of your hand. I'm just telling you that we have, we have the ability, speaking of those right brothers, to get into a plane. We can go get into a Boeing 747, go 650 miles an hour. We can be literally around the world measured in hours. That's incredible. But only God can put you in the right place at the right time. Certain things only God can do in this life. And I just want you to know, like, this is what we believe is our legacy. Is that we live a life doing everything that we can do. But believing and trusting God that he will do only what he can do. How do you, how do you get there? Here's, here's a story that I, I just found was so fascinating and so incredible. In, in the book of 1 Kings, there's a story about a man named Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. One of these other kooky prophets was a little bit strange, but he did incredible, incredible things. And, and there's all these stories, but at one point, they're experiencing a drought and a famine. And in the drought and the famine, everybody's in an uproar. Nobody knows what to do. And Elijah comes out and says, rain is coming. Now, listen to this real quick here. He says, rain's coming. And so he spoke to the king in verse 41. And he said, go eat and drink because there is a sound of a heavy rain. Verse 43. He said, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. So this is, what, this is what happened. He goes down to pray, and he's sitting there with his servant. It sounds like they're on like a mountaintop or a hillside or something like that. And he goes to the king, you go eat and drink. I'm telling you rain's coming. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go pray because that's what I can do. And I'm going to trust God to do what only he can do. And he tells the servant, go and look toward the sea. And when he looked up, the servant said, there is 
Nothing. So this is, this is what happens, though. The servant comes back and says, I don't see nothing, boss. There's, there's nothing there. This whole prophecy thing, we need to rethink your, your job description and how that's going to work because right now you said there's, rain, there's no rain. And so he says, go back again. Goes back a second time. Nothing. Comes back, boss, there's nothing there. Go back again. This happens six times. Everybody say six. You do what only you can do. You pray. You do what the prophet tells you. You just keep doing what only you can do. But the Bible says that on the seventh time, everybody say seven. It says this. It says that the seventh time the servant reported there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising. This was the abundance of right. I just want to get you this picture that God is up to something. And if you will do what only you can do, I'm telling you, then you can activate and have the faith that God will do what only he can do. You know what you can do? Here's what you can do. What you can do is pray. What you can do is fast. What you can do is give. And what you can do is obey. And I'm telling you, when you begin to do, because here's what I know about, about life. And this is where we're waiting for the hand of God to come upon what we're doing here and what we're doing in our lives. Because when it comes to like your kids, like I want you to pray for your kids. Like I want you to fast. I want you to give. I want you to give of yourself, give of your life. I want you to go above and beyond. I want you to train. I want you to discipline. I want you to, to read books. I want you to think. I want you to be the best parent that you can be. I want you to obey God when it comes to your parenting. But I'm telling you what, them things become teenagers at some point in time. And only God, listen to me, you, you can do all of that. Only God has the ability to soften someone's heart. Like with your job, I want you to pray. I want you to fast. I want you to give. I want you to obey. Like I want you to like, like take every step of faith. I want you to like seek knowledge and wisdom because that's a good thing. I want you to do everything that you can do. I'm telling you what, sometimes God can only open up the right door at the right time. And sometimes close the wrong door. At the right time. There's just something about it. Even, even our finances. Like some of us need financial breakthrough. And yet you pray. You fast. You do everything it is that you can do. But at some point, you need the seventh hand. See, this is where we live many times. But what we all are in desperate need of is for God to come and put the seventh hand on what we're doing. Because do you know what God can do? This is what God can do. Everything you can because it, it, I'm telling you, it's only God that can give you favor. I, 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 can't, I can't work hard enough for that. I can't conjure that up. Only God can give me favor. Only God can open up hearts and minds. Only God can give you joy. Only God can heal your body. I'm telling you, there's some, listen to me. Steve Jobs would still be with us today if it was enough in the mind of man and enough in the mother of the arm. If it was just by the stick, Steve Jobs would still be here. There's only things that God can do. Only God can forgive your sins. Only God can heal your soul. There's certain things that you can only get when you experience God and you experience his hand coming upon your life. That's you. That's me. But let's talk about us. Because as a church, what we have been given the opportunity to do, it's beyond this. It's more than the six. It's only, because here's what, it, when it comes to like legacy in our church and our future, we're going to do what we can do. Bless God, we're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to give. We're going to obey. But we are going to trust God to do everything that I can't do and that we can't do. We're going to trust God to put us over the edge, to put us over the top, to put us into a position. Because here's what I know. 
Here's what I know about church. Is that without the seventh hand, we're all wasting our time. Like without the seventh hand, we might as well be like the Rotary Club. We better, might as well be future farmers of America. We, there's all, and they're all great clubs out there. But I want the seventh hand on our church. Can I get an amen? Like, I want God to do something special. I want God to change lives. I, I, that's just what I want. There's this story. It's, it's an old story. It's fascinating, though. Because sometimes we so underestimate and we so look at what we have and we think it's insignificant or we're like, God, I don't know how much faith I've got or how much I've got to give or to pray. or to, uh, I don't know how much I've got. There's this story. It's a wonderful story about a little girl named Hattie Mae Wyatt. Hattie Mae Wyatt grew up in Philadelphia and she was a little black girl that went to church and it was at Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia. And the story was told by the pastor years after it took place. It's this incredible story about a little girl. And, and she loved Jesus and she loved going to church. And, and as the, he tells the story, he tells the story of Hattie Mae coming and saying, hey, we're running out of space. We don't have any more room. How can we, we kind of help other people know Jesus? And he said, he said, well, we need to pray. And we need to do our best to believe that God will give us more room and more space to tell more people about Jesus. And she just said, okay, pastor, that's what I'm going to do. Well, sure enough, Hattie Mae got sick and died within the next couple of years. And the mother comes to the pastor at the funeral and says, pastor, I just want you to know that every night when we prayed, Maddie would always pray for the church. And she had been saving money. And, and pastor, here is the money that she collected. It's 57 cents. This is in 1912. You know how much money that was in 1912? Go back and think about your grandparents or somebody talking about going to the movie show for a nickel, you know, that kind of thing. Like 57 cents to a little 12-year-old girl was huge. This girl had prayed and saved and was like she was doing everything that she could do. And so the pastor was so moved and so touched by this moment that he said, you know what, God's going to do something with this 57 cents. So what he did was, is he began to take the 57 cents and he broke it into 57 pennies. And then he literally said, we're going to kind of like auction off these pennies and let's raise some money in, in, in honor of Hattie Mae and her sacrifice and her faith and her giving. And so they collected $250 for the 57 cents. And the $250 went to go purchase the house that was next to the church that eventually became the Sunday school that was able to expand. But see, here's what you don't know. Like it was eventually turned not just into a Sunday school, but they actually started doing like a Bible college thing out of there. It turned into a Bible college, into Temple College, which turned into Temple University, which turned into Good Samaritan Hospital. Because of 57 cents. And that's what I'm talking about, that we give God everything that we have. We give God our best. We, we say, God, I'm going to give you all my diligence, all my prayers, everything that I've got. I'll give it to you. But listen, God, I desperately need your hand to come on top of my hand. And for our church in this legacy moment, I don't know about you, but I want a legacy place. I want a place where the presence of God dwells in a unique way. Now listen, I know God is omnipresent, that he is in all places at all times, but I am clear of this, that he is in unique places in special ways. I don't know about you, I want to I create an environment that's not just built with the six that you and I got. I want God to do something special. Ezekiel said that there's a cubit, but with the place that God would dwell, it would be a cubit and a handbreadth. That's what we need in our life. That's why we're doing this pledge campaign. So for these three years, our goal is to pledge. And just so you know, 
Pledge is part planning, part faith. Because there's a part of it where you're like, okay, if I cut this and do this and I add this, we're going to move this around and I think we can do this and I can do this much per month or per year or per quarter or per, per whatever it is that works with your finances. There's a level of planning and there's a level of faith. And I don't know about you, but for some of us, it's a, God kind of speaks a number into our heart and into our mind. You're like, oh my gosh, I had a girl come to me and she said, like, God gave me a number. And she said, pastor, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. I know that I'm here right now, but I know by next year I should be here and bless God. I'm just going to believe. And so sometimes there's just a number. I know other people that are looking sacrificially and, and, and giving this up or changing this in their lifestyle. Other people are looking at, you know, bonuses and taxes and all kinds of stuff and everybody's got their own way but the pledge is a plan with a little bit of faith and saying God this is what I believe I can do this is what I should do I think this is what you want me to do now I'm not asking you to do something that would be foolish I don't ever want you to have to choose between feeding your kids or making a pledge that's not we're we're talking about stepping out in faith though and saying God what can I do what should I do what would you want me to do? Because this is what's in my hand. This is everything that I got. And that's what our pledge is. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pray and ask God to put his hand on our hand. So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of pledging. Today is pledge week. As a matter of fact, ushers, if you would, go ahead and hand out those cards because I know some people might need a new card. Some of you have already filled out your card and brought it. And so let, let me tell you this. We have a group of people that are so committed to this And so believe in what we're doing, that they pledged in advance, and we already have over $300,000 pledged in advance of what we will do today. Like, I need you to dream a little. I need you to exercise your faith. I need you to do something with what you have so we can trust God to do something that we can't do on our own. And so as you have that, as a matter of fact, if you need a pen, these guys have pens because some of the pens... It's kind of a gloss finish. Might be a little hard to get your pen on there. You can get a pen from one of these guys. But the pledge is simply this. And, and, and everybody's pledge will be different. And if you want to fill it out in a unique way or put a special note, I, I don't care. That's between you and God. And Our job is just to kind of be good stewards over what you pledge and, and, and us come alongside of you, encourage you, pray for you. I want you to know like all of our staff and leaders and people, everybody is already in on this thing. We're just inviting you to jump in. I believe this too. I believe God is going to uniquely bless you personally and as an individually because of your step of faith. I just believe that. I believe that because of my life experience, that whenever I trusted God and I stepped out in faith, God rewarded that. God honored that. God blessed that. But your pledge is just what you think you can do over a period of time, and then you're just kind of multiplying that out over the three years. Now, things happen in two years, then that's okay. I, ha- I hope you are so blessed and get increase and, and, and your life elevates that you're like, my pledge is lame, I'm doubling down, or I'm going to add more, or I'm going to do what, that's what I want. I want you to be so blessed that you're trying to figure out, well, that was, that was kind of, I want some of you to be embarrassed, but like, man, my faith, really, I'm, I'm going to do more, bless God, I can do more, and God advanced me, and I didn't even know, I, I, I didn't, because sometimes when you're, when you've never done this before, you kind of, sometimes like, you want to be conservative, and like, I don't, I don't know, we'll see after year what, you do whatever though. Let God lead you. What can I do? What should I do? God, what would you have me do? So that I might build a legacy place. A place where the presence of God dwells. What I want us to do today, and this is so different than how we normally roll. And so again, if you're a first timer, thank you for just hanging with us through this moment. Is down front here, we have these tables and these baskets. And and this is so symbolic. It's it's normally, you know, we might pass buckets and then just... 
there's just some efficiency in that. I want to make this a moment. As a matter of fact, if you're out there and you're one of the people that, that pledged in advance, if you can't, I'd love for you just to, to, to fill yours out, just so it's a part of what we're doing here today. Because what we're going to do is in a moment, I'm going to have you stand and bring your pledges and go put them down in the basket. And then after that, as a church collective, we're going to lay our hands and pray over these pledges. If you would, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're writing, obviously, that's hard to do. But let's, let's pray. Father, God, we want to be in a place where your presence dwells. We want to build a church where your hand is so upon us that, God, that you're leading and guiding everything that we do, that you're using us to change hearts and lives to help people, God, to heal the sick, to, to restore people's soul, mend people's marriages, to help them train up their kids to know Jesus. God, I pray that, we, God, we need your hand on our life. We need your hand on our church. We need your hand to come on top of our hand, to do everything that is so beyond us, Lord. And so, God, today is a day that we pledge. We step out with a little bit of planning and a little bit of faith and we say, God, this is what I can bring to you. God, would you please put your hand on our hand? God, would you please bless what we're doing? God, would you please move heaven and earth? God, to help us create a church that lives beyond us. A church that leaves a legacy. Lord, that is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. I want you to stand up on your feet. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.